Hi, comrades, and welcome to Better Red Than Dead, literature from a left perspective. Before we uh, kick off our 2020 season with our I, Claudius episode, I uh, just want to let you know, um, we ran into some technical issues with this one. Um, my mic has, uh, or my mic track has a, a, a static line um, that comes in annoyingly at points. Um, we did our best to clean that up, uh, but some of it is is still there. Um, our apologies for that. We we do try uh, to you know bring you the best sound quality we can, um, and it should not be an issue in, in future episodes. But if you hear that, um, yeah, we noticed uh, we knew about that, and we're our apologies. <laughs> Hi, this is Better Red Than Dead. It's a literature podcast from a left perspective. I'm Tristan. I'm Katie. Megan is still on maternity leave. Um, and today, kicking off our 2020 season, uh, it, back, to, back to the future years now, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll be talking about I, Claudius, uh, which is Robert Graves' 1934 novel about the history of ancient Rome and extremely homicidal grandmas. <laughs> Um, <laughs> so, so Katie, th- this was your pick to to start our new season. Um, why, why I Claudius? Oh, why I Claudius? Why not I Claudius? That's my answer for why anything is just oh, why not? Um, <laughs> <laughs> so the thing about I Claudius that's great is that it's a combo platter, a delicious combo platter of everything that one might like. Uh, so it's like silly professor novel. It is like Game of Thrones, but no titties or dragons or magic. Uh, a lot of murder <laughs> and throne gaming, though. There is that. Um, and also curb your enthusiasm. So we have Emperor Larry David, and we simply must we simply must discuss this. Um, there's a part that uh, it's a famous part of the book where. Um, Claudius basically like he's a historian and he trashes his whole career uh having you know having readings that nobody wants to go to anyway um because somebody came in like busted in halfway through and sat down really hard on his grandma's favorite fancy chair and just kind of shatters it into a billion pieces and then Claudius like can't keep his shit together anymore um yeah yeah, that that like that guy like that kramer would be that character if you were if you were to to do a a larry david stage you know by claudius (laughs) yes yeah it's a it's a huge huge kramer move there or or a newman um yes it could be yes it could totally be a newman too yeah yeah. i immediately did think of the scene where um jerry uh cracks his girlfriend up by like doing a little putting his two fingers around a pez dispenser and cl- pretending it's clapping during her piano <laughs> recital and just like totally <laughs> wrecks her concentration. yeah and there's just no way of getting it back um and and tristan i think uh there's another reason it's a a bond that you and i share uh we take history very seriously and are just you know just immersed in it uh, so so i'm kind of been immersing myself in 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 ancient in ancient history um i have watched uh 15 maybe 20 minutes of gladiator with russell crowe uh mm-hmm. i have gone back to the lace-up sandals trend and i think that it's important that we all return to this um <laughs> I also uh, my my favorite movie of all time is the movie Three Hundred or Six Hundred. <laughs> I don't remember 
what number it is, and I refuse to check. <laughs> yeah, you've seen 300 naked guys, you've seen six, you know? Yeah. Yes. Uh, no, yeah. I, I also, uh, and you know, this is why we're such good friends. I also am a, a pedantic dork about history. Uh, that's why people love to hang out with us, I know. Uh, but, uh, but, uh, no, I, like, I, yeah, and, 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 but seriously, that, that, that is one of the main reasons I wanted to read this. Uh, I've always been like super into, into Roman history. Uh, I was a classical studies major in addition to being an English major in, in college. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I mean, like one reason why I've always like been kind of fascinated by Rome, uh, particularly the late Republic and early empire, um, is just because of how massively fucked up it was. It's like murders all the time, uh, everyone getting poisoned, so much incest, like everyone is banging all of their siblings and marrying their siblings. It's just, you know, <laughs> really great stuff. Um, and you can definitely see why reactionaries like are like, yes, this is the pinnacle of, quote, Western civilization. It's like, sure, yeah, I, I mean, I, I like, <laughs> yes, that's obviously a great, great argument for the, for the, for the, uh, the, the, the sort of a, a superiority of your own fucked up civilization right yeah <laughs> normal empire keeping it real normal. regular that's what i always think about the room extremely normal and very chill yeah um, and and uh, no i i'm also into robert graves specifically um even though i had never read this uh which is his most famous book i think it's fair to say um i did read goodbye to all that which is his world war one memoir um which is kind of a weird book but i also think really moving and, and powerful um, I did see the BBC miniseries of I Claudius a long time ago, probably when I was too young to, to, to watch. To watch <laughs> it. Um, and so I'm, I'm glad that the, the podcast finally made me read it, uh, which is something I've, I've enjoyed about doing these episodes with you guys. Um, and, and I also like, I love the historical novel, uh, both just, you know, for my own reading and, and kind of uh, academically. Um, the period I study, the 18th and 19th centuries, it's sort of like, it, it's developing as a, as a sub- genre or subform of the novel itself um, and the historical novel is really into thinking you know alongside the novel's fixation on interiority and the individual psychology like how the historical moment shapes that and like sort of shapes both individual possibility but also the kind of material conditions that uh, either enable or circumscribe individual action um, you know like Walter Scott is my sort of uh, embarrassing stat object who I'm going to make you guys read today. <laughs> few weeks once Megan's back. Um, and he, he's kind of like an OG of the form, um, as is Mariah Edgeworth, who I'd, who I'd love to talk about on the show sometime. Um, but, you know, Graves is doing this in the, you know, in, in the 1930s, which is its own, like, very fraught period um, that I think you're going to talk about, Katie. Um, and, and I just, you know, I'm kind of curious to see what, okay, so, like, how is he using this sort of, like, novel novelistic technology at that moment? Um, what are his innovations? Um, and I think there are some really cool innovations that we can see here. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm stoked to talk about it with you today. Yeah, me too. It's a fu- it's funny. It's weird. It's cool. It's a good. It's it's a good ass book. It is. Uh, although I, I will say it is a it, it is a little bit uh, more of a slog to read. Which I, I don't know. Like that's kind of the wrong word because I, I did really enjoy it. But it's just like there's so much shit that happens in it. Um, oh and yeah. I I just found and this was something I was talking about with my my wife earlier. She was a classics major too. Um, she's like, yeah, what I read, it's just like, I can't keep any of these familial relationships, right? Cause all of the incest and all of the divorces and stuff. And it's like, yeah, no, I mean, that's me too. I, I, at some point I gave up on trying to keep a family tree in my notes with this. Um, okay. So today we're going to be talking about, um, this novel's understanding of history, uh, kind of historical circumstance. 
we're going to be talking about Livia um, and the the figure of the poisoning grandma. Uh, and we're going to be talking about uh, the kind of politics of this novel as a political critique and sort of how it responds to its own kind of present moment of, of the 1930s. Okay, uh, so Katie, uh, is it, again, since this was your pick, if you would if you would be so kind as to try to summarize <laughs> the, the, the plot, the plot for this, uh, and, and I, I, I'm sure you're going to have to edit out quite a lot, but uh, yeah, just what, what what the fuck is this book about? Yeah, I will note that you said it was my pick in a rather accusatory no, manner. I, no, I, <laughs> no I, I I was legitimately really excited when you proposed uh, when you proposed that we read this. So. Um. <laughs> And and now now you're quite a bit less excited, but we'll still go with it. <laughs> okay. Uh, so you want to so you want to know what I Claudius is about? Yes, I, I didn't read it, so let me know. <laughs> <laughs> this is gonna be a short one today, then. <laughs> Tell you what it's about, and we'll you know kind of break and call it a day. Um. Okay. So basically, we have we have I Claudius. Uh Claudius is the emperor of Rome. So <laughs> so Claudius is writing this book in the first person after he becomes the emperor of Rome. Um and being the emperor of Rome is sort of his day job. His passion is writing shit that absolutely no one wants to read, <laughs> which is a, you know, this is recognizable. Uh the book itself is him telling his life story, and he is the emperor from 41 to 54 AD. But most of the book is talking about his early life, even some stuff before he was born, just all these twists and turns we have that led him on his journey to the Iron Throne <laughs> with the dragons and the one ring that he must deposit at mortar. The trolls gave him some trouble, but he got past them. I, I I appreciate how hard you are trolling fantasy people right now. <laughs> like yeah, well, I, I sure I've I've read Game of Thrones with Frodo with Frodo Baggins, right? Hobbit, <laughs> <laughs> that one's cute. I like that shit. I like how they snack. It's good. Um, but anyway, so we do have some kind of a we do have a sort of magical thing that happens, which is. Uh, very early in the novel, there is a sibylline prophecy that says Claudius will be the emperor. And there's a bunch of other shit, too. Um, that prophecy is in the form of a poem that he gets by crawling into a cave. And you get the prophecy from the current sibyl. So it's just like it, it rotates. Um, and so he like crawls into a cave and uh, is having a 10 minute long conversation with a desiccated corpse of the previous Sybil because he doesn't realize <laughs> that the person is dead. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I say, I say hats off to a true academic. Yeah. That's that. It, it's, it's sort of like weekend at Bernie's meets curb your enthusiasm, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so he gets the prophecy. He knows he's going to be the emperor. Um, and there's some emperor in the family, obviously. Uh, Claudius's grandmother, Livia, is married to Augustus, who is the emperor, and he's also Claudius's great uncle. A <laughs> uh, what you said? His grandmother? His great uncle? What? <laughs> if you worry about that shit, we'll never get through this, so no. there's no time. We have to go. Yeah. 
Um, that's part of the confusion shit. So um, everybody hates Claudius. Uh, and that's kind of important to the way that his life goes. They hate him for reasons that are totally asshole-ish. It, it's basically that he is a stutter and a limp. And so essentially they find the time, they carve out the time in their busy schedules of murdering people and botching wars mm-hmm. and being dumbasses to be just super awful and mean to him. Yeah. Um, yeah. His grandmother is arguably the meanest. She wants her dipshit son Tiberius to be the emperor. Uh, so she goes about poisoning Augustus' other heirs until she manifests what is on her vision board, and that <laughs> is her son being emperor. And just to take yeah. a quick moment, I cannot stress enough how many people this woman poisoned. Yeah. Yeah. Every, every problem. Yes. She, she solves by poison. Well, and even it's like everyone knows she's doing it too, and so they'll be like, oh, I'm going to the palace. I probably shouldn't eat this food because I think Levy is trying to poison me. And then they just <laughs> eat it, and then they die, and it's like, well, yes, like, everyone knows this is happening, and they keep eating the fucking poison. Yeah, the, it's like, she's, she's the fucking, I think somebody at one point calls her as a nickname, the Poisoner. Yes, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah, gra- Grandma Poison. Yeah, um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Uh, also, uh, Tiberius, too, I mean, we'll talk more about him, but, like, he is a He's just such a fucking weird, like, first of all, he's like, he's described as being like, what, like, bald, like, one of the main, like, physical characteristics you get of him is like, he's bald and his legs, like, look, are like, skinny. Like, I mean, so, <laughs> he just, he's just like, I don't know, he, I, like, he just seems like this very typical, like, kind of middle-aged sort of stuff. I don't know, like, if you were to, like, make a Dilbert cartoon into an emperor, that's kind of the vibe <laughs> I get from Tiberius. It's, because, like, what I remember about Tiberius and, and all of the kind of, like, Judeo-Claudians is, or Julio-Claudians is, uh, that you know, that they're they're so debauched and everything. And, like, yeah, but, like, so Dilbert in the middle of, like, a Bacchanalian orgy, like, you know? <laughs> yes, Dilbert buddy fucks. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> A nightmare no one wants unleashed upon us. No. Um, this grand, like grandma, grandma poison and her dipshit son, uh, kind of form an alliance. If you've ever seen the reality show Survivor, they form an alliance. <laughs> um, but she's in charge, and uh, so he becomes emperor, and he and he just she's like pulling all the strings, and he sucks ass at being emperor. People hate him, and all of the senators are constantly roasting him. Um, but it's not like a fun roast where everyone's having a good time. It's the kind where the person getting roasted gets extremely offended and starts executing people. <laughs> uh, so there, yeah. there's more that's going wrong, too. Germany is doing mutinies left and right because they want Claudius's nice brother Germanicus to be the emperor instead, presumably because there in Germany and his name is Germanicus. I can come up with another explanation. Yeah. Cool. Uh, Roman Romans were extremely creative with names, right? <laughs> like this guy conquered <laughs> Germany. What shall we call him? Germanicus. <laughs> we like it. We like it. Uh, Fucking Germanicus. But sadly, Germanicus does not become the emperor. What happens is Tiberius is eventually smothered to death and Germanicus's son Caligula becomes the emperor. And boy, oh boy, is he a real Caligula type. <laughs> but he's doing all types of Caligula shit. 
he's killing just everyone. He is swiping Rome's Amex like there's no tomorrow. And he's also doing a bunch of like drunk guy at a barbecue speeches that are like, I'm like a fucking god, man. <laughs> okay, like fine, maybe not, maybe so, who can say, but I could definitely defeat a god in a contest of wits or fisticuffs. <laughs> Which yeah. turns out, no, he couldn't because he's eventually assassinated and Claudius is hiding behind a curtain, even though we know that that's a bad idea from Hamlet. Uh, but this time it sort of turns out okay, because everybody basically shrugs and is like, all right, well, uh, Caligula is dead, so I guess the guy behind the fucking curtains is the emperor now? Okay. <laughs> and Claudius is like, no, don't make me emperor. Okay, fine, I'll do it. And he does it. Mostly because he wants the ancient Roman equivalent of JSTOR access. Uh, so as as emperor, he gets to look at all the documents um, and command by royal decree that people read his boring ass books, which is all he's ever wanted. So in a way, it's a happy ending. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Insane. Yeah, cool. No, that that was great. And you you did a really nice job editing out all the. And then this guy got killed in Germany. And this other guy got killed in Germany. <laughs> and then this person was poisoned. And this person was exiled, but not before they were also poisoned. <laughs> um, yeah. Battles, I'm leaving them in 2019. Battles, so, I'm done with it. Uh, <laughs> I did I, I did uh, enjoy the Caligula bits. I kind of wish there was more talk of Caligula. I got a little bit bored with Tiberius at some point. Uh, but I will say, uh, I, yeah. one reason I'm kind of, uh, one of the many reasons that I'm, I'm sad Megan uh, isn't with us for this episode is because, uh, I don't know if you remember that that there was this insane movie, Caligula, made in the 1970s, produced by Bob Buccioni of, of Penthouse, uh, where it was like, <laughs> and it, like starring like fucking Peter O'Toole and Helen Mirren and like Malcolm McDowell. What? Yeah, it was like Bob Gucci was like, what if we made a porno? Because it is. I mean, there, there's there's like hardcore like porn in the middle of it, but made it a serious film too. Um, and like Megan, I, like, I have not seen it. It's actually very, it's like, it's very kind of hard to come across a copy of this thing. But, but Megan has <laughs> seen it and says it is absolutely every bit as insane as it sounds. And so I, I wish he could just sort of like, was here to to fill, to fill us in on on what 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 that is is all about, um, but I wish that too. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I, I really do want to see this thing because it, it just sounds so absolutely nuts. Um, you know what it sounds like to me a little bit? It sounds like you know that mythical uh, that mythical piece of pornography, the most expensive porn ever made. At I don't know if it still is. Where it's like a they're on a pirate ship. And there's like this no. was this is like shown at colleges. No, yeah, <laughs> okay, <laughs> yes, because it's it's like it's it's a porn, yeah. like it's a regular. You mean picture of porn? That's what it is. But um, extremely high but it's budget. Like, extremely high. It's it's like uh, Pirates of the Caribbean fucked in both holes. <laughs> so so my understanding of Caligula is that it's like. It's like so the, the the mainstream actors like you know like Peter O'Toole uh, are 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 were making what they it was just like a movie like you know kind of like a, a sort of a little bit out there movie but just like a movie and then but they also shot like a porno and kind of just mashed them together. <laughs> so, um, but that's a dirty trick. <laughs> yeah. Um, Anyway, but so on, on, a, on a somewhat more serious uh, note, and I think this, this will get to the, the, the context a little bit, 
Yeah, you mentioned like Claudius, like Waddy and everyone to read his boring ass books. Um, and that actually was like what is one of the main reasons why I am, am just kind of generally interested in, in Claudius because like he like he was doing history and like kind of history in a very modern sense. Um, for instance, something that he talks about in this book is that he goes out and he makes like an Etruscan diction. So it, the Etruscans, uh, like pre, pre-Rome, yeah. uh, the, the people that were kind of like the dominant power in, in, uh, in that part of Italy before Rome arises, um, by the Roman period, their, their language is basically extinct. It's just like kind of a few like farmers in the countryside are the only ones that can speak it. And Claudius is like, oh shit, this language is going to disappear. I better go out and do like field work like interview these people yep. about and it's just like like someone doing that 2000 years because that's like the way a modern historian would kind of go about or a modern linguist would go about this um and the fact that he was like oh yeah like that that seems like a worthwhile pursuit it's just it's it's like kind of mind-blowing to me that like someone was doing that like 2000 years ago you know um Oh yeah, no, it's amazing. It, it's it. He does like amazing shit the whole time, and it's also made uh more interesting by the fact that so everyone around him for for unfair reasons thinks that he's a complete dumbass. Yeah. But and but it's just like because they're not paying attention. Yeah. No. Exactly. Yeah. That they. Yes. He. He. His intelligence because he's obviously is very smart and and very capable. But it's just not, it's like not legible to them, or it's even like that uh, they just, you know, he, when he's bored, he's kind of like a sickly child and he has these, these very, these disabilities, some of which sort of uh, uh, are uh, kind of, are, you know, go, or like he, you know, he, uh, like he loses them like later in life. Uh, some of them could kind of remain with him, but they just like this narrative sets in that like, oh, yes, well, he's not someone that we take seriously at all, or, or they or have this very fucked up narrative that he's like cursed. Because like he he does he is disabled in these ways, um, so they just kind of write him off, um, which is fucked up. But then he's like, okay, well, no one's paying attention to me. I'm going to go just do this stuff that's interesting, and you know, fuck, fuck them all. Um, and and then yeah, and so that in some ways that the fact that he is sort of, sort of below their kind of radar, their kind of recognition, uh, means that he's the one that ultimately ends up with ultimate power, <laughs> which is kind of cool, you know. So. Yeah, oh. it's yeah that it's a nice it's a it's a nice story of uh of of comeuppance, but it's unfortunate that he has to have a job he hates to make this yes, happen. Yes, exactly, exactly. Um, but so yeah, like so we'll we'll get into like you know the the specifics of the novel and and some of the themes we want to talk about. Um, but could you just tell us a little bit about like what the context is and like what the fuck Graves seems to have been doing when he when he wrote this thing? Yeah, totally. So I uh I you know who the fuck really knows um there's a lot going on with this book uh there's a lot that has been said about it and that can be said about it it's it's one of the like quote-unquote great books so it's on all these like you know best books lists like the top ten thousand books to read on the shitter like whatever else (laughs) is being released at the end you know these end of decade lists um and so but there are two ways of reading it that are both interesting and possibly instructive um and we can read them neither way also but one is by thinking about how this relates to the rise of fascism in the 30s and so um many articles that i read in the past 24 hours (laughs) point out that this maps on to the rise of right-wing authoritarianism in italy so there's this continual tension throughout the novel about like 
power and tyranny and uh, monarchy or republicanism. And so that's kind of like stuff that's um, that was present at the time, but that's of the moment too, like more so addressing contemporary concerns for graves. Um, And so what he's kind of doing is like highlighting all the buffoonery and contingencies that let dipshits like make blood rain from the skies um, because some dumb fuck like insulted their wife's pillbox hat and you didn't like his goatee or whatever. Yeah. And, 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 and that like also like, so I think 1934, it's important to remember that like, so Hitler had just been elected chancellor in I think 33. Um, and so like, so, so Nazism is on the rise and like fascism is, is happening in, in, in Germany and it, it had been happening in, in like Franco is, is sort of, uh, you know, that, that, that that's happening in Spain, but you know, like, fa- like, in the twenties, like fascism, like that was like, that was Mussolini. Right. And like, um, and -hmm. Mussolini definitely as part of his like sort of reactionary kind of Italian nationalism was like, yes, we're the inheritors of Rome. So like, I I think that like in, in, in some ways that uh, like, yeah, I I think that like that, like that kind of exploration of just like the absurdity of like, like claims to power uh, is broadly applicable to any kind of like right wing, movement but i also would i like i'm sure that like mussolini and specifically the kind of discourse mussolini is deploying um th- that had to have been like part of like what graves was thinking and why he was like like you know what let's let's go back and take a look at like what roman history actually was yeah and it reaches it's like the the roman power it reaches its most psychotic in the novel at caligula but it's all it's psychotic the whole way through um so it's just like this escalation that keeps happening, which I think is is sort of like that slip that that all that slippery the slippery slope shit into into fascism. Mm-hmm, yeah. So there is this public historical uh, explanation of what's going on in the book uh, around Graves' life, and there are also some private explanations that relate to his life. So he had a really interesting relationship with his partner. Laura Riding, who's an American poet, uh, who would not fuck him. And the way that I know that she would not fuck him is that she wrote people letters about how she would not fuck him. Cool. <laughs> yeah. So there's like, yeah, there's some correspondence. And she's like, doesn't seem to be doing him any yeah. harm. Um, but he apparently did resent it. Uh, she hated the ever-loving shit out of the Claudius books or two. Um, she said they were boring and unreadable and refused to have them in her sight. <laughs> So he, so Robert Graves would like hide, them, you know, just like hide them. That sounds like an awesome relationship. Like, you know, like <laughs> she, she basically is like, I'm Olivia. I'm in charge of this relationship. What also, this um, is also pretty like, like Claudius's like contemptuous relationships with basically all of his wives too, right? It's like, yeah, it feels yes. like feels like uh, Graves is working through some shit right there, you know. But, feels like King of Queens shit, like. That's like the, the sitcom, the th- full sitcom husband, do you yeah, know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> the other reason that uh, that Graves wrote the Claudius books was because he needed money. And one reason was that he uh, and Laura Riding had bought property on Majorca and someone was going to obstruct his view with like a hotel or something. So they were try- <laughs> they were trying to get cash to do NIMBY or YIMBY or one of those. I can't recall. Um, but very relatable, you know. I hate when people are 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 interrupting my vacation property with their building. 
yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's one of those things. It's, it's something we, uh, it's a, 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 our leftist podcast. It's like, it's just, don't fuck with people's view, man. You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> dude, man. Yeah. No, figuratively or literally, man. Just don't fuck with their view, you know? Yeah. Never. <laughs> Um, yeah, and so there's one there's one more thing, uh, importantly and confusingly, uh, family-wise, Robert Graves' great-aunt married his mom's great-uncle, Leopold von Rank, mm. who was a big old theory of history dude. Um, he was huge, air quotes, uh, an objective historian. That's sort of how he, like thought of himself mm. um and how graves thought of him but in fact he was super religious he was lutheran and it wasn't just like a cultural i like casserole and uh chilly weather kind of way um but it's like all of his histories are about making these like moral judgments on historical figures and royalty uh in much the same way we do on twitter.com in our <laughs> modern times <laughs> <laughs> um, but Graves says in his autobiography, to him I owe my historical method. It was he who wrote to the scandal of his contemporaries, I am a historian before I am a Christian. My object is simply to find out how the things actually occurred. Yeah. It, well, that also, like, the, like objective history, right? Like, I mean, I don't... Yeah. yeah, it's like, I mean, well, we don't, like... Uh, it, I I don't want to just completely like well that's stupid that's stupid lib crap like you know they there there could be because I mean they're like yeah there there's like there is history that's kind of committed to like sort of a an examination of of evidence that you can you know the evidence that's kind of accessible to all uh, that is like very different from uh, you know and, and importantly essentially different from like a reactionary just like deployment of like a, his, a bullshit historical narrative to to whatever political ends you want. But, but also, I mean, we, we also have to, the, the whole like kind of enlightened discourse of like rationalism and that, that it is itself. I mean, that, that is like an idiot, like claiming to be objective does not somehow take you out of ideology. Right. Like that's just, that's a, you know, that, that, that's a false, that's a false idea that that's even possible. Totally. And, and it's, so I think that part, part of what's going on there is like, yeah, you can't get out of ideology. You can't get out of your historical moment and you can't get out of yourself. So you can't get out of being located there. And so then it becomes this thing where it's like, oh, maybe the most objective history is actually the subjective, you know, like maybe that's where the real object, to, you know, then, then you just get into an infinite loop of just jerking yourself off. Um. So actually, I think that that goes well into one of the big things that you and I both wanted to talk about, which is like, what is this novel's um, relationship to history? Uh, and one thing I, I said to you sort of before we started, Katie, was that like, one of the reasons why this is a little bit of a slog is because it doesn't feel to me like a novel. It does feel to me more like sort of history in kind of like the way Suetonius wrote it, right? Where so it's like, it is narrative, but it's like a narrative that tries to like, okay, so this was happening in Germany and this was happening in Italy. And like, I was present for this, but not for this. And like, it, like just all these like narratives that are happening at the same time that don't necessarily all cohere into one kind of plot direction. I mean, that, so like, I mean, like the, a novel typically, right? Like there is a plot arc. Like, I mean, there can be subplots, but you can all sort of see 
the way in which this is centering around the narrative of like kind of a, a what like you know an individual or like a group of individuals and this felt less to me like that i mean you you get that like that's part of it but like part of it with a bunch of like kind of disconnected facts and like like side narratives that don't really seem to have any kind of clear relationship to that to whatever that main storyline is yes there's like a yeah there's like a bajillion different little things that are going on and claudius mentions it all um and the other thing too is that so as he's doing this so so it's like okay so he's doing this historical project ostensibly and there's a shitload going on Mm -hmm. and he's also talking like pip pip cheerio i'm a british man of my time you know like Mm -hmm. So, so you have like these these like late like, so many layers of things. First of all, it's like let's remember where we are, and then it's like okay, let's remember who everyone is. Let's remember what's what all is happening. And there's like this there, and then there's this other layer of like so you're so you're learning history, but you're also just deep inside someone's brain in a way that I think is unusual, even. Uh, you know, like doesn't happen in early historical novels, but um, but even like for its time, for its time, it feels strange to me. Yeah. Like what I'm talking about is the stuff where Claudius will say, um, like he'll go off on a digression, then he'll be like, "No, no, Claudius, you promised yourself you would, you weren't going to do this bullshit anymore. Uh, you know, you swore you'd stop uh using poetic language and metaphors and similes, and yet you don't." Yeah. Yeah. So like is this I mean so so what is that So how do we figure Claudius in with his history and historicizing? Yeah. Cuz he resists it so yeah. much. Yeah. No that and that's a really good question and so like one thing I was thinking like one way I was thinking about getting at that right is that like um so okay so uh, one thing I think that the historical novel, the kind of historical novel that Marx and scholars are into, right, is not one that is like, like, it, it counters the kind of great person, or great man, typically, I mean, it's a very kind of masculine sort of narrative version of history, where like, history is a collection of important guys doing, and occasionally important women, um, but, you know, again, this is, it's a very kind of, I think, misogynistic outlook, among other things, um, like, that's what it is, it's like, it's yeah. that kind of story. Whereas, like, you know, the kind of historical novel that, like, Marxists are much more interested in, um, and, like, this, like, uh, Georg Lukács, who I'll talk about a lot when we talk about Walter Scott, uh, <laughs> you know, like, was that, was not, essentially, it's like, no, it, like, completely flips that. It's like, the individual is, like, is, is, a, is a sort of very kind of, like, almost unimportant category amongst this giant sweeping moment. And flux, um, and so I, I think that, like, I think that in the just sort of like deepness of the kind of detail and fact and narrative that don't necessarily, co- uh, you know, align with Claudius's own sort of inner turmoil, you see a little bit about that, right? Like that the historical moment is much, much bigger than this this one person, you know, Claudius, um, it, it, and. Like some stuff that's happening, like yeah, that is like that does meet very much with like his kind of inner psychological drama. Some of it, you know, might exist at some remove, and some of it might not relate at all. And that that 
you know, but but that that is what history is, right? It's like it, it's like um, it, it's not like there's not one single coherent plot. Like there's not like a teleology to it that uh, that makes sense at the kind of individual level. Yeah, yeah. So so it's what's fu- what's funny about that is there. I think you're totally right. There isn't any any kind of. Uh, you you can't explain everything by contingencies or events or whatever, and figure out where people should wind up yeah. um, by by sort of logic. But you're also on these rails the whole time because you know both by prophecy and by the fact that Claudius is writing as emperor that he winds up being emperor. Yes, you do, and and I also think too what, what you talked about like with his like oh Claudius, you're you're supposed to stop doing that poetic language or. or and like how he's resisting a sort of impulse to, well, to kind of shape history to his own kind of individual liking or to, or to, to, to sort of do that kind of thing that like, maybe that like that idea that like that the time doesn't really give a shit about you as an individual, right? That like that, right. that but that, that like, that's an unsettling thing to reckon with. Um, and like, and it's, it's a really interesting thing to reckon with when it is a figure, like you just said, who we do know historically, like, yeah, he's going to be emperor. Like he actually is a much more important person than other characters are reading him as this narrative. But so, okay, well, so then how the fuck do I reconcile that? How do I reconcile like, like the own, my circumstances, my own life, which are like so important to me and seem so central to this, like kind of historian's perspective where it's like. Yeah, no, not like sometimes you matter, but a lot of times you fucking don't, you know, like as an individual, you know? Yeah. Um, But I also like, there there was one passage in particular that I thought was like really interesting where this is a little bit late in the book. This is uh, in my, my edition. uh, I'm not sure if there are multiple editions of this or not, actually, but uh, this is like 328, 329. Um, So like, this is like after he's basically spent 200 pages just telling us what a piece of shit Tiberius is and like how Tiberius was super uh, paranoid and just starts killing other senators left and right. Um, and But then he has this passage, right, where he says, <clears throat> um, but I was talking of Tiberius's good deeds, not his weaknesses. And really, from the point of view of the empire as a whole, he had been for the last 12 years a wise and just ruler. That nobody can deny. The canker in the core of the apple, if the metaphor may be forgiven, did not show on the skin or impair the wholesomeness of the flesh. Of six million Roman citizens, a mere two or three hundred suffered for Tiberius's jealous fears, and I do not know how many scores of millions of slaves and provincials and allies who were subjects in all but name benefited solidly by the imperial system as perfected by Augustus and Livia and carried on in this tradition by Tiberius. But I was living in the apple's core, so to speak, and I can be pardoned if I write more about the central canker than about the still unblemished and fragrant outer part. Um, so there are a few like weird things or like just kind of striking things about that. One is that like this knowledge that yeah, yeah, like for the average like Roman's perspective or the average, you know, kind of like non-Roman citizen who, who's like living in 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 uh, in this period, this palace intrigue does not fucking matter at all. It's a bunch of rich assholes who are all banging each other and poisoning each other. Like, yes but like then you know so so the outer core is actually the much more like that is like the outer core is what characterizes most people's experiences um and claudius is aware of that i mean that he, he's he, or, you know graves like character claudius is aware of that he he says that right there but like you know at the same time it is like i don't know but then but but it like the the fact that like the the the, the people who like have claimed power are such like asshole and, and like how unstable 
that claim is like that is like a problem for the average Roman citizen to, you know, I, so I don't know. It's, I just feel like there's a lot going on there, but it is like, a, it, it, I, I don't quite know. I guess I, what I'm saying is I don't quite know where the book lands on like, okay, so what is the most important perspective? Like, is there a most important perspective when you're talking about what history is? Yeah. And, it, and it's, it's, is there a most important perspective? And also it's like, so who is acting, uh, I guess like, Who's plotting at any one time? Um, because essentially, like throughout the book, no one is sincere ever, wow. and so it makes it impossible to. Because one of the things Claudia says at the beginning is like, "I don't want to uh, spread rumors and go on unfounded suspicion." But when everybody says the opposite of what they mean, it's hard to come to an accurate reckoning and figure out like what the fuck is going on and who's doing what. And also, like, so so we have the people, uh, like the the Roman people who are just kind of chilling in the streets, and they do stuff to manipulate the their rulers. Like they'll chant, they you know, like there's one, um, there's a crowd that's like chanting stuff to to make Tiberius and Livia fight, yeah. and they're basically they're saying something like, "Oh, we love Germanicus yes. so much," or something, yes. just because they know it all. Yeah like rile them up so so you can't even take this like spontaneous eruption of the crowd about how much they love germanicus as as something sincere like they're doing it to they're doing it as a means to an end yes right exactly um wherever you are in the apple right no yeah and and that yeah that that like uh, which i think is is like one implication of that right is that even for like this person that is seemingly all powerful, you know, and that, that like one of the, you know, one of the kind of like uh, plot or points of tension, right. Is that like uh, the, well, just sort of back up a little bit, like about kind of Roman history, right. Like, so, so the, the like the, the empire emerges in this kind of very accidental way, right. Like R- R- Rome was famously like a Republic for hundreds of years beforehand, like Julius Caesar, this period of like war, kind of like he consolidates like all this power is dictator, but like that, like, there was nothing that was like, well, I mean, he was assassinated for it. So it was like, it was viewed as like this kind of extreme thing, but like, you know, like dictator was a position that existed under the law of the Roman Republic. It was just like, he kind of exceeded the bounds of what that was supposed to be. And then like when Augustus, his successor takes power, he also is like, Oh, I'm just, I'm first upon equals. Like the title he used, I think was princeps, uh, like Prince, but that, but that also was like a Republican title. Um, and, and then suddenly there's this like, okay, but like, well, like in Asia Minor, like Turkey, right? Like uh, this is something that uh, Graves talks about in I Claudius. Oh, they've started to worship Augustus as like a god, um, and that and that like and that it's very kind of like Orientalized. It's like oh, well, that's what the Easterners do, right? Like, and Augustus is like, oh, okay. Well, I guess if they do that over there, that's fine. But we, I'm not a god, like you Romans know that. And then like by Tiberius' side, it's like, well, no, maybe I am kind of a god. And then like Caligula's <laughs> like, no, like not only am I going to be a god after I die, I'm a fucking god now. You know, and so, but, but like, yeah. it all, like, so it, it all, like, there's never a clear moment where it's like, okay, suddenly we've transitioned from this prior, earlier form of government and understandings of to this new sort of like very kind of like centered on one figure. It just, it just happens by kind of stages. And, and it happens in a way that is not like immediately visible, even to the people at the center of that, right? So, like, and like, I, that was a little bit of a long-winded digression from like the like the crowd kind of trolling 
the emperor, right? But but like, I get like wh- why that brought why that brought that to mind for me was that like yeah, it's like like the 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 person who's emperor is not necessarily the person who is driving all of that. They're 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 kind of like they're responding to sort of contingencies and circumstances, but like they are by no means always in control or at all in control of what those contingencies and circumstances are. Right. And so there's, yeah. So there's like the, the, uh, the, the more, um, you know, straightforward reason for that is you just, you just can't get your head around that much shit. But the other reason for that is because Livia is pulling the strings on everything. The grandma. So, so things that look like, uh, contingencies, accidents, uh, bad luck. It's usually her poisoning somebody or banishing them or like, yeah. you know, doing or both. Yeah. No. And, and so that, right. And I think that's a nice, that's another interesting valence here that you point to. Um, no. Okay. So to back up, uh, like that, like, yeah, like let, let's talk about Libya specifically. Cause I think that's a, like yeah, like there are there are a few ways in which this novel does push against that kind of like great person slash great man theory of history that we talked about earlier. One of which is that like yeah, like the there's this whole outer core of the apple which is so much bigger um, than than the inner core. But also like yeah, like Livia, like the grandmother is like much much more central to these machinations and to how history is unfolding than the official very kind of like man emperor focused narrative would give it yes tristan what if i told you that behind every great man was a great woman whoa like (laughs) yeah Uh yeah Uh uh-huh to quote to quote my big fat greek wedding the man may be the head of the family but the woman is the neck and the neck turns (laughs) the head right (laughs) No, I mean, yeah, I know. I mean, it does, like, there is that very kind of, like, cliched and in its own way sort of misogyny because, yeah, it's like, okay, well, well, you know, like, that, uh, like, like, yeah, all right. I mean, like, that, that's, that's one of those claims that sounds like it's saying something, like, positive and empowering, but it's like, it, you know, it's still kind of, like, keeping the, the masculine, like, front and center, if that makes sense. But, but, but I think, so I, like, I, you know, I mean, I think there, there is a very sort of cliched way of understanding what the novel's doing. But I, but I don't. I think the novel's trying to not do that exactly, right? Like, I mean, I think yes. that like it's not just yes. that, like, oh, Olivia's like behind Augustus or supporting. Like, like, no, she's like driving history very much to her own goals and ends, which have fuck all to do. Like, I mean, for her, it's like it's not that oh, she's the real support structure on which Augustus relies. It's like no, she's using yeah. Augustus to get what the fuck she wants. You know, like. Yeah, and she so, so essentially she wants someone related to her yes. to be the emperor. That's her big that's her big thing. And uh and like the way that she the way that she hangs on to power actually in, interestingly connects to the stuff we were talking about with history because uh Livia is obsessed with history. So she doesn't um you know, she she's poisoning a lot of people yeah. again, yeah. many people. And but she's not poisoning people who like pissed her off or who she has a grudge against. She has like a whole elaborate system of eliminating possible heirs because her eye is always right, on the prize. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and, and they I don't know, like just like okay, so who who is who is she, right? Like, so she's Claudius's grandmother, but Claudius is not Augustus's grandson. Like Livia was married to this other guy, Tiberius Claudius Nero. 
who had fought against uh, Julius Caesar like way back in the day. I think is this right? I I can't. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I know Little yeah. Caesars pizza but, place. But, but so, I mean, the point be like again, like the, the, if you try to like track all of the characters of this, it just gets fucking dizzy as hell. But like, but basically, like Augustus is like. I don't like that you're married to this guy. You need to divorce him and marry me instead. And then like, so and, and Ti- like, so Tiberius was her son by this other guy. And then like Augustus ends up adopting Tiberius, like as his own son. Okay. So like, when we're fr- this is early in the novel. Like we're told that Augustus and Livia never consummate the marriage because basically Augustus can't get it up because he's so like, Wow, it's super fucked up how I made you divorce your husband so I you could marry me, right? Um, so, so it's it's always <laughs> a marriage of like kind of uh, outward appearances and forms, but which which suit Augustus and Livia both at the same time, but like it definitely adds up more to benefiting Livia's own very kind of like mercenary interests than Augustus. Like Augustus is kind of a dupe by the end of this, I think, right? Yeah, she's the one who's got a plan, uh, and and yeah. she's carrying it out. And he doesn't really have a, you know, he doesn't have a great burning ambition. Um, and that's one of the things that that uh, Claudius says allows yeah. her to succeed, because um, he says that most people, and especially most women, have some limit to their ambition, but that she yes. has none. Right. Right. And so. In the face of someone like that, uh, you know, Augustus can only get yes. manipulated. Yes, exactly. And right. And the, yeah, like he can only get him manipulated. And he also like a Livia sort of. Well, yeah, yeah I mean, like Livia actually does turn like if there is one person who is turning history to their own ends, it is it is Livia in a way that like, um, OK, so like. I, you know, I mentioned earlier, like, like just how sort of like accidental the emergence of the empire seems in some ways, and like Augustus, which you know we we read in this book, um, throughout his like life had insisted that like no, basically like when the moment of crisis is over, I'm gonna like we're gonna go back to the republic. Like this is like kind of a a brief period of interruption. Like and whether he actually believed that or not, which I think the novel kind of like questions. Um, that that was his like outward presentation, right? It's like I'm not. I'm not setting up a hereditary monarchy, but Livia's like, no, yeah, you are. And if you're, and if you are, I sure as fuck am. Like, because <laughs> like, like Claudius at one point asks, right? Like he, he gets her to her, like he, he basically, um, yeah, like he gets into her kind of good graces because she thinks that he's going to be like the one to kind of carry on her legacy uh, or like to, yeah, to, to kind of resist Caligula, like after, after she's dead. Um, but so she does all, she confesses all this shit to him, right? This is on page 340. This is hilarious, by the way, also, because she has been shit-talking Claudius for the whole book. Like, not only has she been shit-talking him to people and to his face, Claudius has replicated a bunch of letters where she's shit-talking him more. It's like all she's done. And then all of a sudden she's like... Would you like to have dinner with your yes. grandma, your dear well, sweet grandma? And it's even who you more love so fucked much. up than that, right? Because it's like it, like the whole reason why she wants to is because she wants to make sure that that Claudius makes her a god after she's dead. Because she's like, oh fuck, I have poisoned like a hundred and fifty people. Like I am going to hell. Like I am going to Roman hell. 
But if I'm a goddess, mm, goddesses don't go to hell. So I got to make sure this happens. And she's kind of realized that Caligula is such a crazy fucking asshole that she no longer trusts him to make this happen. So, but she's like, Claudius, you'll, you'll get this done. Um, and so in return for like that, like that, uh, that, yeah, I'll, I'll see this out. Uh, she starts confessing all this stuff to him for his histories that, that no one's going to read. Um, and yeah, it's hilarious. Um, yes, she had poisoned my grandfather. And no, she had not poisoned my father in spite of Tiberius' suspicions. It was a natural gangrene. And yes, she had poisoned Augustus by smearing the poison on the figs while they were still on the tree. And she told me the whole Julia story. This is Augustus's exiled daughter, um, as I have related it, and the whole posthumous story, another person who dies that you don't need to pay attention to. Um, the details in which I was able to check. And yes, she had poisoned Agrippus, uh, Agrippa and Lucius, as well as Marcellus and Gaius. And yes, she had intercepted my letters to Germanicus. But no, she had not poisoned him. Placida had done that to her own initiative. But she had marked him out for death, as she had marked out my father for the same reason. What was that? What reason was that, grandmother? Claudius asked. He had decided to restore the Republic. No, don't mistake me, not in the way which violated his oath of allegiance to Tiberius, though it meant removing me. He was going to make Tiberius take the step himself voluntarily, and allow him to take credit for it, keeping in the background himself. He nearly persuaded Tiberius. You know what a coward Tiberius is. I had to work hard and forge a lot of documents and tell a lot of lies to keep Tiberius from making a fool of himself. I even had to come to an understanding <laughs> with Sejanus. This republicanism is a persistent taint of the family. Your grandfather had it. I have it. Still, <laughs> that's amusing, right? Like, so, but like, I mean, so a couple of things there. Like, one, it's like, okay, so like Livia is the one who is really driving this historical change. But also that like Livia like understands what's happening in a way that like Claudius and Tiberius and apparently Augustus were like, what? No, like we're not, we're not, we're still in the Republic. What are you talking about? She's like, you people are fucking morons. No, we are. Like you, you've been emperors for like almost a century at this point, you know. Like, um, so, so she just, she's like a much better reader of like historical circumstance than, um, than her husband or her like her heirs, you know, her male heirs. Yeah, no, for sure. It's funny. What's funny about that is she gives a reason for this sort of at the uh, almost at the end of the chapter. Um. Uh, Claudia says, I asked whether she had no compunction about murdering Augustus and either murdering or banishing so many of his descendants. She said, I never for a moment forgot whose daughter I was. Right. And so, so this is all, um, and she said, uh, Olivia's father, Claudian, had been prescribed by Augustus uh, after the Battle of Philippi and had committed suicide rather than fall into his hands. Um, so there's this like, so there's this stuff where it, she is absolutely moving the levers of history like more so than anybody and it's all and it's because she was a part of the levers of history being moved sort of like against her yeah right like so so her sort of taking the kind of reins is like it, it's not i mean it it is about like kind of a, a thirst for power but it's also like yeah, like essentially one that is in some ways an, an, an active. Well, I don't want to say like an active resistance. I mean, like, yeah, I'm not trying try to make that kind of claim again about someone who's like at the center of kind of power and authority. But like, yeah, I mean, she like that someone who had, like she herself had been like sort of like, uh, uh, or her family had been kind of like uh, had been you know subject had been persecuted in this way, and she responds by like orchestrating this kind of massive kind of almost like internal palace coup. 
but except like she's the palace, right? <laughs> like she she's the person at the center of it. Right. Uh, yeah, and there's there's this weird thing where it's like, so she's poisoning everybody and getting rid of them and everything. And um there's a way where the novel sort of like almost lulls you into thinking, well, maybe if like maybe just give her what she wants and she'll stop doing yeah. all this shit. Like maybe she'll stop killing, maybe she'll stop killing all these people. But what you wind up realizing is like when you get to Caligula is that no, what will happen is she'll just turn it against the yes. people. Yeah, you exactly. Know? Um, yeah, no, I, right. I mean, she, yeah, she, like, I think she is a very like ominous figure throughout parts of, part of which I think is like there, there is a sort of misogyny to it. It's that like, she, she's super threatening because she is this, this woman that like holds or wields ultimate power um, in, in a way that like the, that the, 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 the man doesn't, the emperor doesn't. But I also think that, like, you know, to, you know, where I, I know we want to talk a little bit about the politics of this, like, that goes to, like, kind of, like, like this sort of, like, unchecked authority itself, right? It's that, like, you can never, like, there, there's no way that, like, that can ever be a benevolent force. You know what I mean? Like, that, that kind of unchecked, sort of extremely right. calculating kind of power, it's always going to be, like, a problem for, for the state and ultimately a problem for the, the, the population. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's this like, to- yeah, completely n- like no, no fucking limits balls yeah. to the wall, grandma. Um, And it is sort of important that she yeah. is the grandma, like it, that, that she's the, the, you know, like, typically the grandma will be the oldest, or one of the oldest women in the family. And so it's like, and, and there's like this idea that you're you know your your grandma your grandma right. is supposed to like you more than right. your parents do even you know if anyone's supposed to like right. you it's your grandma um and she just takes she she takes like grandma knows best to a whole new level yes yeah it, right well and, and also to the the like uh i feel like it, it's sort of in in a lot of literature like one reason why the 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 grandmother has had this sort of like well this power this powerful role in a way that kind of steps outside of like what is typically thought of as like you know the the circums the 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 circumscription of like a a woman's a woman's sphere is precisely because the kind of like there's this understanding of this narrative that the kind of like sexual like implications of her have been because of age like muted or take and and like i think you see that very early and that like she and augustus are not having sex Right. Like, so she's, so she's never like, like with her, it's never a question of like what her, what her specific or like her progeny already exists, like after the novel starts. So it's not like she's going to have additional like biological air or like, you know, direct, like she's going to have additional biological children. And, and also that she can't like be contained within this kind of, this like kind of desiring narrative, um, right. which like, you know what I mean? So and that like, again, like that, that itself is a very kind of like misogynistic and certainly like ageist understanding but but i think that like what the novel is trying to do with that is like okay so but that that's that inscribes a kind of narrative onto her in certain ways but it also like expands like the 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 power potential of what her kind of gendered position is by closing down these certain like uh associations that gender would carry if she were not the grandmother she were like the mother or if she were like the sister of augustus or something like that right there's some kind of like heritage thing happening that's that's different and and weird and and like the misogyny directed at her is 
is different than um so so like we haven't talked about this but it makes me think about claudius's wife um and her name is basically like she's ugly. It's er, yes, it's let me find it. it and I always forget it. Urganalia, is that what it is? Er, yeah, it's er, yeah, Urganalia. Yeah. Uh, and her mom is like Urgalalia. You yeah, know, yeah, it's yeah. like one of those. Yeah, and it, it, it's it's a name that is it, yeah, you're it, it's supposed to carry. It's a, like it's a, it's supposed to be a not aesthetically pleasing name to pronounce, right? Like Right. And so and so we have the grandmother who is who is like poisoning people and she's she's the uh the the open secret real ruler of Rome and uh she's doing these hidden things that people can't get her for yeah. but she's sort of getting you know she's getting away with it and that and that's and then that's like the the way that we that we resent her as Claudius does. Mm. But we also have Claudius's wife, who is like the other side of the misogyny. Uh, fucking, I don't know what, it, pancake? Yeah. I don't know what food it is. And she is so very like Claudius. Yeah. But he is disgusted by her uh, because she's like tall. Yeah. Like she's very tall. Yes. Um, right. It, because Yeah, because bo- both of them are marked physically as being some somehow like not comporting to like the ideal in Claudius. It's because of, it's because of like disability and in hers, it's because she's, she's so big. Right. That, that, but like that doesn't, that doesn't produce like a sympathy between the two of them. It produces like revulsion on the part of Claudius. Right. Yes. She is like, from the moment she's introduced, she's like large adult wife. And, and they, and even like in the book, just like in Claudius, just like relentlessly humiliates her every time she's in a scene. Like he tells a story about on their wedding night, two people had to carry her over the threshold and that they dropped her and it was this whole thing. So, So he's sort of like, doing the thing that he's had done to him yes. you know yeah and and it and it makes it clear that claudius is um i don't know he is sort of subject to this uh to the thing that i guess like maybe everybody's subject to which is like to me i'm different right yeah right yeah yeah right and well and, and one like that we because it's his own narrative, right? That we like, we get a much better understanding of him, and one that's not immediately just written off because he's like, you know, he has this kind of non-normative physicality or, or what have you. But in a way that will, or like, or uh, sorry, I, I did find it. It's uh, Ur- Urgulania, um, in, in a way that Urgulania, Urgulania is like she doesn't get to write her own narrative. So like she is like what her representation is like this very kind of like dismissive or like well not dismissive because she's like kind of threatening right but like this like kind of repulsed mm-hmm. like uh, a sense um it, it, but in a way that we see like through uh, claudius's eyes like other characters have viewed him but he just like his own narrative is able to like kind of overwrite that in a way that hers is is not um yeah because the last thing she says in the book yeah. um is i think the last like line of dialogue that's given to her is claudius is no fool yes yes exactly and and so what it it reveals that she too is no fool but it also is like all about claudius yeah yeah definitely um but 
So I don't know what to do with that, but it's like the two flavors. No, but okay, but so here's what I was, right, so like, like so, okay, so Livia is sort of like out of the kind of economy of desire because of her, because of her age and because of, you know, that her, that the, uh, she's not having like kind of a sexual relationship with Augustus and she's the grandmother. Uh, Ergolania is out of it because she's not, because like her, you know, her physicality is not, you know, part, it's not the, the kind of like normative sort of idealized thing. Um, also, I've, something that we didn't mention, uh, there's, a, there's kind of a queerness about her. Like she's really kind of like physically obsessed, you know, not physically obsessed, like physically attracted to this, to this woman who she keeps a full length image of. Um, but like she's yeah. outside of it. But, you know, like, okay, so, right. And, and like, so the perspective that we get through Claudius and other characters is like that these, these women are threatening in, in some way, but it's like, okay, but the women that do fall in with the kind of like sort of normative desiring kind of uh, understanding of, of, of gender, uh, they get fucked over badly, right? It's like, they get exiled, they yeah. get starved to death. So it's like, okay, well, so like if these are if these are the the options available to like a woman character, uh, I don't know, I'd probably rather be Livia than, than or uh, or 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 or, uh, or Galadia than I would be like Julia, like kind of starving to death in exile. You know what I mean? Like Yeah, it's like that yeah, totally, totally. It's like the thing, it's like it's like the curse of being noticed, yeah. which yeah. is like Claudius's thing that he he escapes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I mean, it, yeah, so there, there is like definitely a lot of misogyny uh, coming through here, uh, which and I, I don't know whether to attribute that to like the novel itself or like the novel is taking up like what, you know, an understanding of what what uh, views about gender would have been in ancient Rome, but it's definitely present. But like, it also is sort of like using that as a way of opening up spaces for you know, for other understandings of like kind of power and other understandings of like agency, um, you know, that might. Yeah, no, totally. I think that's, I think that's totally true. It's also, it's just like, it's not just, uh, it's like, yeah, one, one can find misogyny in, I'm not surprised to find it here, you know? Um, but it's like these two varieties are so interesting. I think for the reasons that, for the reasons that you you pointed yeah. out, you know, like who is who is involved in the like, um, you know, who's desirable, who is uh, who's having sex, who knows secrets, who's important enough to know them, uh, can they protect you? Uh, that's like a different. That's like a you know kind of like a form of power that's associated with with women is like the like the gossiping, the different kind, you know, the yes. different kind yeah. of power the secret yeah. stuff yeah and, and, and like i i think just because of like claudius's own sort of marginalized position that does lead me to believe that like the novel wants you to be kind of skeptical and sort of like aware of these sort of like oh yeah like like awareness like the supreme virtue of right like you know, it, like it, it, it wants <laughs> you to be kind of skeptical and questioning of like some of the sort of outward representations of these these women figures uh because because i think that i do think that like the marginality uh the kind of enforced marginality of the protagonist of the novel like like they're like if you're not keeping that in mind when you're encountering other characters who sort of a similar kind of claim is being made about then i think you're probably not reading the novel quite as uh as carefully as as it wants you to yeah 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 certainly yeah it does it does invite you <laughs> to really um so why so this is in 1934 hitler has just been elected 
Chancellor of Germany. Mussolini has been in power since the 19, early 1920s. Um, why does Graves want us to think about this history in this way at this moment? Like, do we have a do we have some thoughts about why that might be the case? I think it's a good it's a really good question. I think that the I don't know what the answer is, but I think that it lies in the the fact that this book is like to me it's best categorized as a comedy. Yeah. Um and that that I think that sort of he's drawing attention to the kinds of foolishness that we all fall prey yeah. to uh or that we like uh incite and encourage in others uh you know like predatory people yeah. do um but it's just like that at bottom everybody is like there are so many people who are undone by by horniness by um you know by petty grievances by by all of these li- you know these little uh things that seem insignificant yeah. in history but they're actually the thing that makes yeah. it happen yeah. Yeah, yeah. right, exactly. And 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 you're right. Like the, the thinking of this as a comedy, I think you're completely right about that. Um and like because like a point there is the absolute absurdity like about this kind of like sort of like fascistic claim about like uh, or idealization of power because we know of like the, the horrors of like what the fascists did. That like it's sort of like you know that 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 really butts up. You can't laugh like you, you can't laugh at that. Like um, you know, it, it, it just it it it's so horrific that it kind of like that the sort of yeah. absurdity of it dies in a way. Like that, actually, something I was just thinking of is um apparently Charlie Chaplin. Uh, you know, Charlie Chaplin made uh, the Greatest Dictator, where he you know he is that kind of like Hitler figure in like the early 1940s, and he said after the war, mm-hmm. look, if I had known about like the death camps, I would have never fucking made that movie. Um, and, and which I, which I totally yeah. understand what he's saying with that. Um, it, it, but, it, but it's like the, the kind the, the, so, right. So it's like the, the, the effects are horrific. The central claim itself is just so absurd, right. And so illogical that it's like, you know what I mean? It's, so it's like, so it's almost, it's not, it's yeah. not that like the absurdity isn't present. It's that like, it's an absurdity that like, after you understand where it leads, like the appropriate reaction is no longer laughter, Right. Like, or it can't be laughter, right. right? It's something else, but like that doesn't that, but but like why it is absurd in the first place? That is present. The complete illogicality of it, the complete like the the, the fact that like you're trying to claim this like sort of idealized and stable position out of something that is so fucking contingent and so uh, and, and just like is deploying like kind of uh, you know is sort of deploying rhetoric and discourse to like its own ends which have nothing to do with like any kind of like objective like fact or anything like that mm-hmm. y- yes yes yeah that's that's i think that's right i think it's totally right i i have this question i think which is like on that as you make that progression like you you realize that these people are dipshits and they're foolish and then you realize that they're also just like, you know, spilling blood and doing uh, atrocious things. Um, where then do we put the the foolishness of people? Right. Like, what is that? 
what is that? Because some of the people who do the worst things in this book are right. dipshits. And some of them are pretty canny and they're plotting. Yes. Um, but I don't know. Even in the end, and I'm thinking about Olivia, even in the end, she is in a way reduced yeah. um, be- because she has to beg Claudius to make her a goddess so she yes. doesn't go to hell. No, right. E- like even the ones who are like sort of more, um, yeah, kind of more with it. Even they like are ultimately sort of reduced to this position. And I will say, like, I mean, I think Claudius is sort of like a sympathetic character, and I think a and I think a, a character that we can, well, yeah, he seems actually kind of good, right? Like at a, um, but that like he because he's like kind of excluded from this, uh, you know, that that like he, like he kind of like emerges from it in some ways, untainted by it, um, I, I guess. Uh, but also that like never in a million years would Augustus have picked this particular person to succeed him because he didn't fit into his ideas of what an heir was, and he wasn't able to kind of like re- like like understand Claudius in, in any kind of uh, a way that wasn't like sort of like so biased. Um, but you know that that like yeah so, right. So it's like it's in some way like the, the the kind of narrative of like what like what the what succession is going to look like that is produced from the centers of power. Ultimately, I like there's an optimism there that like well that's not ultimately going to win. Although we do know you know Claudius himself gets poisoned like like you know. But but that right. you know what it's it's there's like maybe a moment of optimism there that there is that there will be that that we can step out of this kind of narrative. But like yeah and, and to, to, you know I. A couple things your question was making me think of. One is that, like, setting it 2,000 years ago lets you kind of stay with the absurdity in a way that setting it at the present moment might not. Um, but I was yeah. like, you know, like, I wonder if Hannah Arendt and the banality of evil, too, is, like, at all relevant here, you know? like I, and, and again, yeah. I don't, you know, to kind of collapse, like, you know, the, the fascism of the 30s and 40s and, and Nazism with, with any kind of, like, sort of, right, you know, kind of reactionary authoritarianism, you know, there are definitely problems or limitations with that but like yeah it's like that it, it like there's not this great kind of like diabolical genius to evil it is often a form of just stupidity and unthinkingness or just like rigid commitment to these like prejudices and preconceptions that don't actually have any kind of like factual you know there's there's no factual weight behind them um right Right. So yeah, I mean, you know, a rat is writing thirty years after, after, after Graves, and and uh, you know, post knowing everything that we did know then about like what fascism led to. But I think you know, but I, I like I can sort of see where her thinking in Eichmann in Jerusalem is coming out as sort of present in Graves's critique of power here. Yeah, and I wonder then, um, and I. I know that we need to wrap uh pretty soon, but I but I wonder then what you make of mm-hmm. the ending. And we may we may be able to leave this an open question, but I read the ending as mm-hmm. sort of dark because um we're in Claudius's head as usual, and he realized that he has just become the emperor and he asks a bunch mm-hmm. of questions. Uh and he says and he's being carried around the court and he says, and what thoughts or memories would you guess were passing through my mind on this extraordinary occasion? Was I thinking of the Sybil's prophecy, the omen of the wolf cub of Pollio's advice, uh, my grandfather and liberty of my father and liberty of my predecessors, Augustus, Tiberius, Caligula, their lives and deaths, my unborn child, uh, Agrippina and Nero of Camilla. He, he, it's a long thing. 
No, you would never guess what was passing through my mind, but I shall be frank and tell you what it was, though the confession is a shameful one. I was thinking, so I'm emperor, am I? What nonsense. But at least I'll be able to make people read yeah. my books now. Public recitals to large audiences and yeah. good books too. 35 years hard work in them. It won't be unfair. And then at the end, he like, you know, he just nuts over getting yeah. library no, access. And like, and so in some ways that's like hope, right? It's like, he not like Claudius isn't going to do all of this other bullshit that has like caused so much like kind of misery and at least in the palace circle. He's going to write his fucking books and he's you know he's gonna he's gonna tell you about the Etruscans and like and, and like okay well that's kind of cool right like that's sort of like a refusal to like abide by like what power is supposed to be. But then at the same time it's like yeah but like that's also just his fucking web right it's like that you know like the the that that what effect is that going to have on the lives of like the 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 citizen the people you know the, the people under kind of roman power that like this new power structure has left him in charge of uh you know what i mean so it's like okay so like you wound up with an emperor who's kind of a good guy but only because of pure accident right and like yes only and only give a shit. You're, you're lucky as like someone living under this power that he doesn't give a shit like how fucking nice is that you know what i mean yes. so like that is super dark. so it's like it, it it is like simultaneously both kind of hopeful and cool and also like this is fucking bleak. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I think that like the 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 play the thing that I find bleakest is um he says this thing, how many twisted stories still remain to be straightened out? And so it's like he wants to do his object is not power. His object yeah. is history, but he wants to impose himself on it in this way that's like he's charming because he's like kind of a nice guy and he does it in this ham handed way that actually really ends up benefiting the people, which is like, very, like, as you're as you pointed out, is this like, very, is this like nice thing and a hopeful thing? Um, to me, it's also like, if he if he wanted to to straighten out the people the same way he wants to straighten this other thing out, like maybe we'd have a different, you know, we'd have a different yeah. situation. Yeah, no, I I, th- I think that's right. I think that's right. Um, yeah, but cool. Well, no, this was this was this was a lot of fun. Um, and dark, but yeah, you know, <laughs> I think sometimes I think we have the most fun <laughs> on this show when we are uh, when, when we're when we're really when, when we're really getting that bleak. Uh, but, but um <laughs> anyway so yeah there's dickens to cheer us up later um <clears throat> okay so before we get to our final questions just a note to listeners um we had some technical difficulties and had to change our recording setup somewhat so if you notice a difference in sound quality that's yeah that's the reason um sorry about that so uh katie to to wrap up our i claudius episode um do you have some questions for us I do. I have some questions for you. I have a game for you. Um, and I have this game for you in the spirit of of the most important thing, I think, in this book, which is uh, grandma magic. Um, <laughs> yeah. 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 Grandmas are, are cool. They're magical. They poison people. Uh, they do it all. I did a quick search of Etsy and Amazon for gifts for cool grandmas, and I got a shirt that said wrestling grandma, same as a regular grandma, only cooler. <laughs> um, yeah, they, 
they also had sailing grandma Tristan, which um, which which may eventually be you. <laughs> yes, <laughs> sailing grandma. That sounds great. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but we have poisoning grandma here. So. Yes, poisoning grandma. Grandma got run over by a reindeer in keeping with the holiday season. That's a fucked up song, by the way. <laughs> like, it's a fucked up song, by the way. Uh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. So, um, without further ado, here's the game. So, Tristan, you are a very lucky individual because you got invited to Livia's house for dinner. Holy awesome. shit. Um, okay. Okay, I so that's pro- the good news. Uh, yeah, I probably should not go because I'm going to die. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well, you may, but you can't turn down the invitation because then you'll definitely die. True. So, yeah. you know, we're kind of locked in here. Yeah. Uh, un- unfortunately, no one told you you were supposed to come with a gift basket. Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> but there are a few things the palace keeps on hand for you to choose from. You must correctly choose the items that Livia will like the best. And I'm going to be real honest with you. I'm going to get real honest with you right now. If you don't choose, right, she might poison you. Yeah, okay. She could poison you. Yeah. So so just just choose carefully. Okay? Is she going to poison me even even if I'm even if I do get them right? I I can't make promises of that nature <laughs> <laughs> to you. <laughs> Or anyone. Um, and, and so here's here's all I just wanna I just wanna say I legitimately found all of these items by searching variations of grandma and gift. Okay. And I just wanna say I wanna say that because it's really hard to believe that anybody is buying this shit for their grandmas. Um, but you know, what can we say? Uh okay. So you will have three items to choose from uh each round, and you just select one of the three for the gift basket. Okay. So uh, here's here's set number one. Uh, it's a mug, and it has uh, the words "other grandmas" on it, and then a horse, and then uh, it says "you," and there's a unicorn on a stripper pole. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so okay, that's number one. Number two is hilarious gift for. Maybe for Livia. Uh, it's for any crocheter, though. It's a picture of a ball of yarn and a crochet hook, and it says, I'm a naughty, naughty hooker. <laughs> okay. Keep, keep that in your mind. Uh, and then there's a T-shirt, and it says, Grandchildren are God's reward for not killing your kids. Oh. Um, well, I feel like the third is definitely the most Livia themed, right? Like I, I kind of feel like that's a message that she needs to hear. or I would think so. Were I one of her kids? <laughs> uh, so, but at the same, are you in a, are you in a headspace to receive information that may potentially hurt you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. So I, um, I wait, so refresh me. I'm, I'm, so am I one of Livia? I'm one of Livia's grandkids, right? Not one of her kids. Uh no, you're one of her great. I mean, you're just a guy. You're oh, just, just a, a guy. guy okay, so it doesn't matter. Come, okay, just into the fact that she's a grandma. Okay, you're a you're looking for a gilf. <laughs> a, a gilf. Oh, all right. Uh, I don't know. 
I didn't think through your character. Okay, no, no, no. I got I, because I, the reason I ask is because I I think I'm going to go with the third one, but I feel like Livia's reaction to that could vary wildly based on whether it's a kid and she's like, oh no, now I'm definitely going to fucking kill you, or a grad kid's like, oh ha ha, that's a funny joke about that time I killed your parents. Um, so <laughs> I, I'm just gonna, I'm going to go for number three. I, I feel like it, it it suits her personality the best, uh, and maybe she hates it. Living on the edge, yeah. living on the edge. Yeah. Okay. So I'll mark that. So you're going with grandchildren or God's word for not killing your kids. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Good choice. Good choice. Uh, the second gift in the gift basket uh, could be one of these three things. Number one, a sign that said grandkids spoiled here because no one will spank grandma. <laughs> so just let that simmer in your brain. <laughs> Don't mess with grandma Saurus. You'll get your ass kicked. Okay. Or put that in your mug and sip it. Put that in your mug it's and a sip mug. it. Um, okay. So the first one, I, I don't I don't think Livia is gonna be down for that for the for for, for that kind of uh that, that kind of hitting on. Uh I think she would find it very presumptuous. Um, the, the, Fair. Uh the second one I kind of like because she is, you know, she is a badass, but I don't necessarily know that she um would like being compared to a dinosaur. Uh so I'm gonna again go for the third one, uh put that in your mug and sip it, which I think she as someone who likes to poison people a lot, like I again I feel like that just is her, you know. I think I think so too. I think so too. Okay. So I'm gonna I'm gonna mark this down. Uh, this is a three item gift basket. So here's, here's the last, uh, the last item. Um, so you, your choices are between a cooking mitt that says dropping a new recipe on your ass. <laughs> okay. That's number one. Number two is a figurine of a bear assed garden gnome that's pulled its pants down to moon someone, mm -hmm. presumably. And there's a bluebird sitting on the gnome's lower back looking into its asshole. <laughs> this is a real thing. <laughs> okay. I mean, I would want that one, but. You know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. So, and then here's number three. This is also a real thing. Uh, a candle that smells like banana nut bread, toasted coconut, and hazel. Mm -hmm. And the candle's called Smell My Nuts. <laughs> and the rest of the candles that this candle company produces, I just want to say, are have totally normal names. Okay, it's just these three that are off the wall. Wait, I'm sorry. I like I got so fixated on the garden gnome with the bluebird staring up its its asshole <laughs> that I forgot I forgot what the first one was again. The first one is a cooking mitt that oh. says drop in a new recipe on your okay. ass. Okay. That I that is the most boring one um I feel like, but I also think I don't know. It there's something like kind of trashy about the other two in a way that I again, I think that Olivia would just be like what what the fuck? Like <laughs> so and, and also the the recipe, the cooking thing again, she really likes poisoning people. I think, you know, uh provided we had the right sort of relationship, she might say, "Aha, you're you're making a lighthearted joke about how I poisoned everyone in my family." Um so I'm going to go with that one. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So uh, let's we're gonna fire up the old TI eighty three yeah. and tabulate your score. <laughs> I made a graph; it's a parabola, <laughs> um, and it tells you uh, that you know uh, you're a smart guy. You knew that she was gonna 
poison you regardless. <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah. And unfortunately, that's the case. Your gift basket did not save you. Although I will say that you did pick all the correct Livia, yes. uh, most Livia centric. I, I feel like so it, can, I feel like it deferred my poisoning as long as possible. Right. <laughs> yes. <Okay>. Yes. <laughs> I wish you I wish you hearty congratulations as you rest in peace. Okay. Well that that was fun. Thank you. This has been Better Red Than Dead. You can find Megan on Twitter at Tuslersaurus. You can find Katie on Twitter at Katie Crywo. You can find me on Twitter at TJ Schweiger. You can find the show on Twitter and Instagram at Better Red Pod, spelled R-E-A-D. And email us at betterredpodcast at gmail.com, but only if you have written an academic article or some sort of self-published history that you feel has uh, received scant attention and want to remedy that situation by becoming the supremely powerful emperor of, uh, of Rome. <laughs> um, uh, we'll, we'll see what we can do to make that happen for you. Um, our, <laughs> our, our intro music is Lev Broadstein by the Redskins and used with their permission. Our logo was created by Jade Bonzek of uh, JD Design and Content. Please rate, review us, and subscribe. We still have those stickers and buttons for reviewers that we were offering last season. So just send us a screenshot of your, of your review if you, if you want those. Um, next week, we're going to be talking about The Time Machine uh, by, by H.G. Wells. Very excited for that. Um, and great expectations after that. Um, we've got a lot of, uh, of, of cool stuff uh, lined up for you this, this season. Uh, Megan will be back in a few weeks. Um, so yeah, thanks comrades. <laughs>